The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 13th chapter. Jesus said, In those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. Then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware. Keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on watch. Therefore, keep awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or at cock crow or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. This is the Gospel of the Lord. The first thing I want you to do this morning is take out your phones. Truly, I mean it. Get them out. Actually, Jason, you want to give me mine? I forgot it. <laughs> Underneath the hymns. Open it up. Um, we are going to Google a word this morning. It's a Japanese word, so I hope you're up on your Japanese. Uh, I'm going to spell it for you in English. Everyone ready? Do you want my phone, Dave? <laughs> the word is kintsugi. K-I-N-T-S-U-G-I. K-I-N-T. S-U-G-I. I kind of thought someone would yell bingo, honestly. Okay, so everyone got it? If you see uh, this word, if you've Googled it, you'll find the definition of the word, which is the general concept of emphasizing imperfections, mostly, but not exclusively regarding pottery. You can click on the images to see what this actually looks like in vases, bowls, or cups. The second thing I want you to do this morning is look around and see if anyone sitting close to you has not done this or does not have their phone handy, so please show your neighbor the image of Kintsugi. The third thing I want you to do is perhaps the most important, and that is this. Put your phones away now. <laughs> 
seriously, you all have the image in your brains. So you can tuck your silenced phones away, no reason to have them out, to do some Christmas shopping during my sermon, or text one another, or text me, as some of you do during Sunday morning worship. Put them away. I also feel it's necessary to mention that I have used this image one time before, but that was back in August of 2022 in a completely different context. I felt like I should come clean with you. So, Kintsugi is the image to keep in mind today, both as we consider our readings for the day and also as we begin our Advent journey in preparation for the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas. I am going to marry a few images this morning, the first of which is Kintsugi, which we've already looked at and are by now all experts at. The second image is that of the kings from the east who arrive after the birth of Jesus. While they do not make an appearance in the Gospel of Mark, which we begin today and will be reading for the next year, they do play an integral role in Jesus' birth narrative. To be honest, I've always kind of smirked and rolled my eyes when these guys show up. I know they are kings and sages and wise men, okay, but they show up with the weirdest gifts Myrrh and frankincense and gold, yes, I understand these gifts are expensive and rare, but they are altogether useless to a mother who has just given birth, especially a poor mom who's just delivered in a stable. I've always thought, you know, this is what happens when you leave it to the men to buy the presents. <laughs> Not to be gender normative, that's just my experience. But I have since changed my mind. I now think that their gifts are profoundly appropriate, which draws us back to our first image of Kintsugi. Tradition says that the art of Kintsugi is traced back to 15th century Japan when a Japanese shogun sent a damaged Chinese tea bowl back to China for repairs. When it was returned, repaired with many ugly staples, most Japanese craftsmen were horrified. However, some found beauty in the ugliness as it revealed the loveliness that is often hidden in broken things. The repaired bowl became even more highly valued because of its ugly staples, which looked like a locust, evidently, and so the bowl was named Large Locust Clamp Bowl. Over time, clamps and staples were replaced with gold in order to mend breaks and cracks in pottery. Collectors became so enamored of the repaired art that some were even accused of deliberately smashing valuable pottery just so it could be repaired with the gold seams of kintsugi. So, this first image of Kintsugi points to the second image of the kings from the east who come bearing gifts, including gold. Myrrh is a perfume that anoints dead bodies, which foreshadows the death of this infant king. Frankincense is a resin that is used as incense for its purification and medicinal qualities, a sort of balm offered to a wounded world. The gift of gold has always been interpreted to be a nod to the kingship of Jesus, a crown, if you will, for the king of the Jews and the king of kings. 
perhaps there is more to it than that. Perhaps this gold-bearing king isn't as clueless as I've always assumed. Perhaps he is even somewhat prophetic. Perhaps this king knows that while gold is indeed a gift fit for a king, it also represents the fusing together of broken things. Perhaps he knows that one day clay vessels would break and gold would be needed for their repair. Perhaps he even knows that metaphorically, his gift of gold would symbolize the healing that Jesus brings. Not only the healing of broken pottery, but also healing of broken people broken creation, and even the broken church. Perhaps this king was offering the gift of kintsugi before kintsugi was even a thing. Christmas is coming. Many people feel like we need to have everything perfectly pulled together. But what if we decided this Advent season to be honest and instead approach Christmas fully in our brokenness, aware of the cracks and the crevices that we all bear? What if we decided altogether to stop pretending that we are perfectly on top of things, perfectly prepared, perfectly in control, and instead admit that we are all broken pottery? In short, and this is incredibly hard for me to say, what if it doesn't matter at all if we're ready for Christmas? Christmas will happen anyway, whether we are ready or not. What if this Christmas we approach the manger fully in our brokenness, carrying with us those things that have left us most shattered? In the end, we are all broken, scarred by either broken relationships failing health, crushing bills, loneliness, grief, shattered optimism regarding our climate or splintered hope when considering the state of this world at war. So the question is, can there be beauty in broken living things even as there is in broken pottery? Scriptures do not shy away from the idea of brokenness, after all. In our first reading, Isaiah begs God to break open the heavens and come down to earth. Come down to earth and make your name known, Isaiah says, for you have done awesome and unexpected things. We are unclean, and yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. And again, in the Gospel reading from Mark, Jesus promises that the Son of Man will break open the heavens and people will see him coming in clouds with great power and great glory. And finally, scriptures culminate in Jesus himself being broken open in death, pouring out his blood and forgiveness and love over all people. The scriptures do not shy away from brokenness. So why do we? because we equate brokenness with weakness. To us, weak vessels break and are sometimes mended but are never as good as when they were new. <clears throat> More often than not, they are thrown away. 
it never occurs to us that strong vessels can also break and be mended to become stronger and even more beautiful than they were in the first place, the way that a tree absorbs its knots and makes them part of the tree's identity. Knots make wood beautiful. Cracks make pottery interesting. Our brokenness is what makes us unique. What we are learning today is the art of precious scars, that we are more beautiful because we have been broken. Our scars, our breakage, and our repairs are part of the unique histories that are specific to who we are as humans. Can scars even be inspirational? The Bible says yes. Jesus says yes. Heck, Jesus chose to keep his scars even after his resurrection, and he showed them to his disciples. So why do we tend to hide our scars? Largely because of pride, I think, and the need to sweep our breaks and our cracks and our blemishes under the rug or into the closet, lest anyone see or know that we are broken. Better to put up a false front than to live honestly. But what if we embraced our brokenness instead of hiding it? What if instead of fearing the skeletons in our closet, we learned to dance with them? My husband Doug sent me an anonymous quote this week. It went like this. You should dance with the skeletons in your closet. Learn their names so you can ask them to leave. Have coffee with your demons. Ask them important questions like, what keeps you here? Learn what doors they keep finding open and kick them out. What courage and bravery it takes to confront our skeletons and our demons. To stare straight into the abyss of our own brokenness. I think we've got what it takes. It calls us to have an honest and compassionate sensitivity and identification with things outside of ourselves that have caused brokenness. It means staring directly at our skeletons and our demons and all the things that have caused brokenness and understanding they are a part of us. It means finding strength in weakness. It means learning to love our broken selves. But here's the best part. Learning to chip away at those things that have caused us to be broken. What when we chip away at those things that have hurt us, then our true selves are revealed. This is an Eastern understanding of art. The Western understanding of art is to add, add layers of paint to an empty canvas. The Eastern understanding is to remove all hindrances, all distractions that confuse what that piece of art is supposed to be, to chip away all excess stone until the sculpture reveals itself. Michelangelo said that about sculpting. He said, the sculpture is already complete within the marble block before I start my work. It's already there. I just have to chisel away the superfluous material. 
His greatest sculpture, David, is chiseled from marble from the Italian Alps. The surface of this magnificent sculpture is covered with small cracks and cavities. They don't deteriorate the stone. In fact, most are filled with various substances caused by the statue's exposure over the centuries. Make no mistake, this sculpture is not perfectly smooth. The marble contains cracks and fissures, but they don't destroy it. In fact, they strengthen it. Indeed, the filled cracks hold it together. The gold-bearing king from the east could not have known the future of the Christian church, which would follow in the footsteps of the infant Jesus. However, it seems his gift of gold is also the gold that glues together the broken pieces of the church itself, even as it struggles these 2,000-plus years to witness to a world that does not want to listen. Doug and I took Jacob on a campus tour of the University of Oregon in Eugene last week. While we were there, we read in the paper that two churches in, in Eugene recently closed, one a Methodist church and one an Episcopalian church, due to intolerable behavior. That was in the article. Intolerable behavior in the wake of the Methodist denominational split regarding the LGBTQ community. These two Christian congregations closed their doors because the upheaval was so destructive. What can possibly hold the church together, I wonder? over issues and across time. It seems shattered beyond repair. It is only gold that can hold it together. Perhaps the church is more beautiful for being so. Perhaps God sees beauty in the church that is not so evident to the rest of us. You could accurately say that the church's existence is ugly and very broken. Indeed, the church has done its fair share to warrant such fair judgment. However, the church still lives, and in some cases thrives. It bears witness to 2,000 years of human effort to be in relationship to God. Year after year, decade after decade, century after century, the church takes on issues of its time, wars, politics and presidents as they come and go, female ordination, divorced pastors, gay pastors, how to engage issues like abortion and capital punishment, racial injustices, sexual orientation, gender identity issues, gun control, housing inequality, and so on. And often the church makes a terrible mess of it especially when you add on human failures like clergy sexual abuse and financial corruption. Sometimes it seems like nothing is holding the madness of the church together, but God is. And God glues the broken pieces together with gold and grace and love. As individuals, as communities, as nations, as a church, and as a planet, we are shattered. But are we shattered beyond recognition, beyond repair? Sometimes it might seem so.
But Jesus says no. Jesus leads us into those dark cracks and bids us see the beauty in them. For me, truth be told, pure transparency, the thing that shatters me most right now is seeing my sons graduate and make plans of their own to leave for college. I understand this is good and necessary, but it is a big brokenness for me right now. But God is at work. Because when my heart breaks, which is often, recalling the days of toys and tiny Santa costumes and sticky little boy kisses, I see in the bleakness a ray of hope, a glint of gold, holding the fractured pieces of my heart together, joy even, in seeing them grow, find their own ways. When moms and dads see their children grow and leave, the nest and the heart are not shattered. They're pieced back together with gold in unexpected and beautiful ways. Maybe the trick in all of this is to hold things a little more lightly. We always think we need to hold on to things tightly so that they don't drop. Maybe we need to let some things drop from time to time because what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is that they shatter into a million pieces and then God glues it all back together with gold so that they are more brilliant and beautiful and interesting than ever before. We are but clay. And God is the potter. The word perfection does not appear in this biblical metaphor. As we approach the manger, as Christmas nears, God does not deny us access to his son because we are broken or shattered. Instead, God gives us seats of honor, front row seats, right next to the sketchy shepherds and smelly sheep, right next to the peculiar kings and their weird gifts, right next to the denying and betraying disciples, right next to Herod and Pilate and the Roman guards, right next to sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes and lepers and widows and children, God invites us to the manger exactly as God made us, gay and straight, male and female, and all gender identifications in between, black and white, strong and weak. We are all all the work of God's hand, broken and beautiful. Amen.